Hello everyone, uh, Sława Bogom and welcome to the 20th episode of Searching for the Slavic Soul. In the last episode, which was published in the at the end of the October, I men- mentioned I might have to go in winter hibernation, but but the fact that we took a break on the 19th episode was really, really bugging me uh, because I have unfortunately a touch of OCD as well as uh, you most probably have noticed a few of other mental health (laughs) issues Uh, but you know I am working on it so it's all good Uh, anyway the 19th episode was bugging me so much that it was actually more effort for me to chase away the the bug the bugging thoughts than to get the 20th episode done so here we are still in the 2021 starting the 20th episode of searching for the slavic soul before the new year begins and um, why i practice um, and So today I will be talking about searching for my so today I will be talking about searching for my own Slavic soul and about the way I practice Slavic native faith and also why I practice it this way. So if any of these sounds uh wait <laughs> wait I forgot to introduce myself again. So my name is Magda Lewandowska and I am your scatterbrain presenter of Searching for the Slavic Soul, which is a podcast by Vitya Project. And ta-da! I've reintroduced myself now, so that's it. That's all the introduction. So if you're interested in how and why I practice Slavic native faith, just keep listening. So, my practice, my religious practice, not veterinary practice, although as although as you will later see these two connect a little bit, like pretty much everything in my life recently, it just all starts to connect and build something bigger with more meaning and, you know, a central goal, which is pretty awesome, uh, which is really the the main reason I practice a religion because after decades of trials and errors I realized that I am a much better person with a religious practice than without without it which is no wonder really because we the humankind in general not only Rodnovers or not only pagans we evolved to have spirituality and some form of religion and we really cannot function properly without it Uh, because what spirituality or religion does it gives us a narrative Uh, it gives gives us a way we can tell our story explain our existence in the world and give it a bit of a meaning Uh, because really if you look at life any life not only a life of a human if you look at any life objectively it doesn't really have much sense I mean you know you're born 
if you're lucky you get to reprodu reproduce and then you die and that is pretty much it and if you well you know not you because i don't want to tell you what to think or how to interpret your life but if you look at for example my life objectively without any attempts to narrate it in any way without any attempts to extract any meaning out of it it's really just pointless <laughs> i mean historically every single good or enjoyable thing in my life ended or is ending or will end at some point in the future which is kind of the ultimate truth because everything ends sooner or later the good and the bad it all ends obviously we don't mind when the bad things end but when the good stuff reaches its conclusion it's not so nice anymore is it so you know if if i look at my life and discard all the stuff that ended or will end the only thing that's left in my is my birth really and my death and i was born as a twin so not really alone but i will as everyone else very likely die alone so like from the start by default i will end up worse than i started <laughs> because i started in the company of my twin sister and i will end up alone and if you really think about it it's it's really no wonder we have such an epidemic of mental health issues especially because the depressing stuff the stuff that extracts the ultimate lack of meaning out of uh, our life and presents it in like a nihilistic philosophy of, I don't know, Kierkegaard or Nietzsche or the stuff that you read in Dostoevsky. Really, the whole postmodernism, it just sounds so deep. It makes you feel so wise and mature and, well, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of catchy. It allows you to be in uh, opposition to the stupid and the pointless, to the celebrities and, you know, even the boomers who are, who see so much meaning in everything and see a life as either a journey or, I don't know, hard work and sacrifice. So then you can, you know, enjoy your high social status and tell these who are below you to, you know, how they should live. So, you know, many, especially young people, hold on to the nihilism because it's the easy, easiest way to put yourself in the opposition to the stupid and the shallow and the mundane and, you know, the boring. But it seems the nihilistic lack of meaning is the integral part of being a human and has been accompanying human beings since, well, since the record started and likely even before that. Uh, pretty much every single human culture at any time of the history of humankind developed some sort of religious beliefs and some sort of religious practice that was designed to contradict the nihilism, to give life its meaning and to stop people from giving up on life and on living and that became an evolutionary adapt adaptation in humans so really the individuals that were incapable of feel finding meaning in life 
they were just giving up and dying <laughs> and the individuals who were capable of persevering despite difficulties who were able to see above the hardship and the suffering who were able to find hope and meaning uh, who were able to find an explanation for their struggles they survived and they kept surviving and uh, we the modern humans the we are the heirs of these survivors we are evolutionary conditioned to have spirituality or religion in our life and it actually shows because the modern people who do not follow a religion per se uh, the individuals who consciously and willingly reject any religion and any beliefs or spirituality these individuals sooner or later well not all of them but most of them they will start to treat other things like religion and this is exactly what we see now with political ideologies or all sorts of fitness or diet regimens or even most recently with like anti-covid measures some people just go crazy with these things they switch off thinking completely they refuse to see facts they idealize the object of their obsession get all hysterical and irrational like they were defending a religious doctrine not you know a political party or like a piece of fabric on your face uh, anyway the the same thing applies to me uh, while living my life and reflecting on it I realized that I am a stronger and more resilient person when I believe in something bigger, something more important than me, like, for example, believing in my ancestors, uh, that they in, do, in fact, exist as my ancestors after their death, and that they are there in Navia, in the Slavic afterlife, that they are there waiting and they are ready to support me with their strength, and the wisdom and the belief uh, in my ancestors the ancestral veneration which is such an important element of slavic na native faith that was the very first element of slavic native faith i come across while searching for my soul uh, which is without a doubt a slavic soul i mean um I was aware of Rodnoverio Rodzima Viara, as, as it's called in Poland, well before I started what would later turn out to be my path to Rodnoveri, uh, which, uh, I, as I was recently made aware, makes my story an unusual one, because as it turns out, most Rodnovers of my generation, at least, they discovered Slavic native faith on their own, through sometimes very convoluted spiritual search uh, which you know involve wicca or norse paganism or baltic paganism or buddhism or islam and uh, even confucianism as i hear while i went directly to Rodnoveri because i was introduced to Rodnoveri by my sister gosha who started practicing i don't know somewhere in the year 2000 or even before that so i knew roughly what rodnoveri is how the rituals look how it's practiced i knew all of that before i started practicing it myself and that is unique in this way that thanks to gosha i could skip the <laughs> early phase of following Sla slavic native faith 
which is let's be honest getting a tattoo building an altar and you know praying on a tight and highly regulated schedule which uh, is not to say that i didn't have an altar face i did um i absolutely did it's actually quite cute when i think about it and i don't know uh, a cringy in a way but still cute because the the one and only altar i ever built was an altar decorated with white and purple elder flowers with a you know picture of virgin mary mary drawn like in jehovah witness style and uh, i constructed the altar when i was seven or maybe eight years old and i did it because i really didn't like the god that was being sold to me in the church because i'm not sure if i mentioned it i was brought up roman catholic and i was sent to well sort of a sunday school uh, it wasn't taking place on on sunday if i remember well but it was like a weekly classes about bible and ten amendments and stuff <laughs> and i remember i did not like the god that was presented to me during these classes but i liked the idea of worship and altars and making it also pretty so i figured i won't worship the god i did not like but i will worship the pretty lady <laughs> instead so i constructed an altar and i think i even prayed in front of it a few times uh, but then my mom told me the altar was pretentious and i had to take it down and that's the story of my altar based worship um, i wish i could show you a picture of this altar but i don't have any because that was the that was going that was all going down in times when you know the internet was only operating in like i know mit or harvard or other fancy places but most certainly not in poland and uh when i when i was you know back in the, those that times uh, taking pictures was reserved for special moments like christianing or first communion uh, but i still remember how pretty this altar was i mean in the eyes of an eight or nine years old magda it was just the prettiest thing ever and i'm pretty certain that i would have put its picture on the internet if i only <laughs> could so so what i wanted to say here is uh, you know i do understand the modern fledging pagans with the altars and tattoos i really do i take the piece out of it because you know it is a bit funny mostly because of how predictable and common this is but it's also very cute i'd say all this zeal and the need to present to the world your newly found spirituality uh, it's so human and so common for all of us regardless if these altars are occupied by perun or holy mary uh, but still what what we have to remember is that the slavic native faith was not a newly found spirituality for our ancestors which i'm going to remind here for this of you who only started to listen to this podcast now uh, by our ancestors i mean early medieval pre-christian slavs so among our ancestors one did not have to have a tattoo or an altar to show everybody that one is a pagan uh, because everyone else was a pagan too and 
the Slavic paganism was like Roman Catholicism in modern Poland. Uh, just everyone knew what it is, how it is practiced, and no one had to construct altars at home because they were much better, more altary altars built and used by the whole community. Uh, and we know they were used because one thing that archaeologists keep finding on sites which were occupied by Slavs in the early medieval period are piles of animal bones with evidence of fire and spilled blood and that is consistent with um, with what we read in written sources that you know early medieval pre-Christian Slavs had outdoor communal spaces like holy groves where they performed their ritual practices which is no wonder really because if you look at Slavic gods most of them are actually the gods of nature and elements they are the gods of earth storm lightning wind water death itself and you know such powerful elements are forces of nature and not things that one wants to invite under one's roof i mean not if one has any common sense and survival instinct and uh, our ancestors have bo had both common sense and survival instinct because if they didn't we would not be here so the original pagan slavs worshipped mostly outdoors and if they had an indoor altar like the temple of Świętowid in Arcona, they did not actually enter the sacred space only a priest was allowed to enter the enter and even a the priest was not allowed to breathe in the presence of the sta statue of Świętowid uh, the chronicles also mentioned another type of Slavic temples, which, by the way, were called Konchina. Uh, the temples with uh, there were temples with a space for feasting, so with benches and tables where all this feasting space was covered with a roof. However, they were not spaces to live in. They were not houses. They were temples. Uh, they were spaces where people sat on the long benches and participated in a ritual feast. People did not live there. But the modern Rodnovers build indoor altars uh, in their own homes. They build altars and then invite storm or death itself under their roofs. And then after they build these altars, they attempt to... I don't even know what word to use here. Entice, bribe, like attempt to worship the storm or the death itself indoors by offering it like five quid worth of, I don't know, Tesco owned brand beef. Like how sad is that and how pointless. And on top of it, they, these modern Rodnovers, many of them worship the same Slavic gods whom the original Slavic pagans did not want to worship. Because, let's say it as it is, most of the modern Rodnoveri worship is centered around the so-called Vladimir Pantheon. So the pantheon of six gods, Perun, Strzybok, Dajbuk, Mokosz, Hors and Simargl. And these six gods are called Vladimir's Pantheon because Vladimir the Great, the Knyash of Kievan Rus, 
he wanted to build a state religion and unified Kievan Rus under this religion. So, in order to achieve that, Vlad Vladimir built a temple in Kiev, and in this temple he put the statues of these six gods. But the thing is that the pagan Slavs living under Vladimir the Great's rule did not want to worship these gods. Vladimir did his best, but the pagan Slavs just did not warm up to his ideas. They did not want to worship the so-called nowadays Vladimir's pantheon. And this is why, after a few years, Vladimir got rid of his temple, like literally ordered it to be destroyed. And in 988 of the Common Era, he accepted Christianity. And you know, it's hard to say why the subjects under Vladimir's rule did not want to worship the gods that Vladimir wanted to worship. Uh, there is an agreement that the gods chosen by Vladimir to his pantheon were chosen from among gods worshipped by the pagan Slavs of those days. It is possible that Vladimir did not choose the right gods or all the right gods or that there were not enough female goddesses in his pantheon, for example. Uh, because really, if you look at how pre-Christian Slavs lived, the, you know, having only one goddess in the pantheon of six can be a little bit confusing. Like, you know, pre-Christian Slavs had polygamy and the number of wives was wives was actually a big status thing for pre-christian slavic men vladimir for example famously had hundreds of concubines and depending on who's counting somewhere between five and seven wives but in the vladimir's pantheon there was only one goddess and five gods which could easily be quite confusing for pagan slavs because if there is one female and five blokes that <laughs> doesn't really reflect well on this group of gods, doesn't it? Like, who are they? Are they a mother and her sons? So why the goddess doesn't have a husband? Like, what's wrong with her husband? <laughs> Did he abandon her? Did he die? And if he died, what good can he be as a god? Or maybe he wasn't a god, but if the husband of the goddess wasn't a god, then that doesn't really reflect well on the goddess, does it? Uh, of course, it is possible that the six gods are not a mother and her sons, but for example, a husband and a wife and their sons. Then the question is, what is wrong with the god? The husband, like, why does he only have one wife? Is he such a loser he can't even afford to have more than one wife? You see where I'm going with it? Like, if we look at it from a perspective of an early medieval Slavic pagan, suddenly the Vladimir's pantheon does not really make much sense. So, you know, the original Slavic pagans did not want to worship the worship Vladimir's pantheon, but we, the modern Rodnovers, we just go for it. And I really don't know why. I mean, you know, I do in a way, because we are all told that religion 
a worship doesn't really count unless there is a good or gods and you pray to them and burn candles on on an altar and make sacrifices and it's all just super spe special in mysterious and by we i mean the people of the modern western culture because people outside of the modern western culture know that a religion does not actually require a god or gods to be an actual religion there's plenty of religions without a god or gods and obviously religions that do not require their followers to worship any god or gods because for example there aren't any included but we the modern rodnovers can seem to be able to stop this never-ending pointless worshiping and these prayers where we call the slavic gods our fathers and mothers or our lords and and we are so blinded by our cultural background that we don't even see how christianized our practices and you know i did exactly the same when i started i mean i did not have an altar but after i found my way to slavic native faith i attended rituals and celebrations where everyone did the whole christianized pagan worship and i kind of I did accept it for a while, I didn't think about it really, until one Jade celebration I was told to wear a mask before we called upon our ancestors. And anyone who did not have had a mask was supposed to turn their back towards the fire and look away from the fire, because as, I was ex as it was explained to us by Monsignor Gerza, the masks were there to protect us from bad spirits when we were calling upon our ancestors and i'm just like what we are calling our an ancestors from navia we are calling them through a holy fire which has just been started by the Gerza and blessed in the name of slavic gods and we are calling upon members of our families and we are supposed to cover our faces and the only way to be safe with an uncovered face is to look away from the holy fire into the darkness and the woods where the actual stavic demons are like how does it even make sense well it doesn't the whole bs with masks has been made up by some stupid people who spend too much time watching you know fantasy tv series and not thinking enough but when i started questioning uh questioning it i was told that i don't know shit because i'm just the follower and the Gerza knows more uh, because what Gerza knows is that the Karaboshka masks, so the, you know, the very special and magical Jade masks, uh, they, they look cool when you put them on and do some mambo jumbo in the front of the fire. So let's just do stuff that looks cool because why not? And the funny thing is that we actually don't know what type of masks our ancestors wore for Jade and what was the purpose of wearing such masks we know they wore it because it's mentioned in the chronicles but we don't know how these masks looked and what why exactly they were worn and the masks that are so regularly made for jade celebrations are reconstructed reconstructed from two masks found in ostrówek in poland 
these masks are dated for 11th and 12th century and that is actually all we know about them where these masks were found does not kind of suggest any sort of special purpose uh, how these masks were made does not suggest any special way they were used they don't even seem to have any sort of holes or hooks to secure the string so they can be worn uh, the archaeologists and historians are still arguing what were these masks for yet the modern Rodnova Rizerca know it for sure and if you question it is you who don't know shit and make stuff up so like okay if you say so so anyway this memorable Jadis celebration was the point when I decided to just start all over because what the Zerca was telling me was not making any sense at all and one thing I know for sure is that the original Slavic paganism like any old and tested by generations traditions it has to make sense otherwise it would not have been followed and passed through generations because people don't tend to do pointless things through generations I mean, one or two generations can be fooled, but then people just start to rebel. Like, for example, women started rebelling when contraceptions were de was developed and it turned out that we, women, we don't need men to take care of us while when we are pregnant. Because we con with contraception, we don't actually have to be pregnant if we don't want to. Uh, still, you know, patriarchy did make sense for a long time it was the most efficient way to get humans live longer and safer lives while producing more healthy and looked after children so for a long time patriarchy worked it was beneficial for humans as a species but as soon as it stopped making sense people started abandoning it so basically what i am saying is if Slavic traditions survived for hundreds of years and dozens of generations, it has got to make sense. If it do, and if it doesn't, it means that we, the modern Rodnovers, we, do, we got it wrong and we have to keep trying to get it right instead of doing some stupid BS just because it looks cool. And, and this is why I am so skeptical about daily prayers to gods particularly if these prayers are supposed to take place in front of an indoor altar because if you look at an average early medieval pagan slav it actually makes no sense like imagine you live in an early medieval times you live off the land in a small hut without windows a decent chimney plumbing or any other things that we take for granted nowadays you wake up in the morning with a backache from all the work you did in the field the day before and perhaps even with a headache from all the smoke you inhaled overnight because the fire that has been going on the whole night so you're most likely thirsty, you're likely hungry, you might have a full bladder. I can reassure you, kneeling down for a morning prayer is the absolutely last thing you want to do. Not because you're not a good follower of your religion, but because for you, as for everyone else in early medieval period, 
the fact that you stay alive is so much more important. So no, you don't pray. You get up and you sort yourself out first. You get a drink, have a pee, maybe spend some time rekindling your fire and getting some breakfast ready. And when you're done with that, if it's summer, you go to the work to work on your field to get as much done as possible before midday. Because, and we know it for sure, early medieval Slavs did not work at midday in the summer. We know it firstly from the folklore where many myths of midday demons were preserved. So we know that Slavs believed that at midday in the summer demons were hunting on the fields. So in order to stay safe, no one was working in the fields at this time. And another reason we know it for sure is because we know that if you work hard in the sun in the summer, you're likely to get a heat stroke and then die. And this is just a beautiful illustration on how religion or any sort of tradition has to make sense and be beneficial for its followers in order to be followed and passed through generations. Any sort of religious or mythical belief has to make sense and provide a real life benefit if they are to be followed. Otherwise, it's just a waste of time and resources and no one bothers because what's the point? So, as an early medieval pagan Slav, you don't work in the middle of the day in the summer. But there's plenty of work in the summer if you have to leave off the land. This is why you get up early, work hard, then you take a midday break and you work hard again until the end of the day. And this is exactly how farmers work in the summer, regardless of the historical time or geographical location. Because that's the only way of working that makes sense and allows people to survive. But if it's winter and remember, you're still the early medieval Slav that has just woken up in the morning. So if it's winter, there might be less work to do, but uh, you know, the day is much shorter. So you've got less time and also it's likely cold and everything is frozen or covered in snow. So it's much more difficult to do things like, I don't know, getting water from the river or hunting. So yeah, less work to do in the winter, but the work is just so much more time consuming and there is less day to do it. And when it's getting dark, you don't go for a walk to the nearby holy grove to to pray because there are hungry wolves in the forest, like literally, because it's medieval ages and forests are dangerous. So you go to your little hut, you cuddle up with your family and you try to stay warm and safe. And by the way, you don't have any candles because the only type of candles that exist in your time are made from beeswax which in order to get you actually have to find a nest of wild bees and fight with them to get the wax and of course if you're super stupid you can absolutely use up your beeswax for a candle but if you do that you will soon die 
because once you burn your wax in candles you won't have the any wax to waterproof your leather equipment or for for example the string of your bow and without a waterproof equipment and a strong string bow you won't be able to hunt or protect your family and you will all die and you know who we the modern rod novels are we are the successors of the slavs that were not stupid and did not die which means that our ancestors did not care for altars and candles they cared for themselves and their families and they followed a religion that allowed them to do just that oh and by the way i'm also 100% sure that our ancestors did not run around in the rain burning a thunderstorm calling upon Perrin and calling him father which is as i <laughs> learned some time ago what some modern rod novels do and which is another proof that some modern rod novels are just plain stupid uh, anyway back to my crisis of faith in Żercas and uh, my decision to start over i i started with veneration of the ancestors because back then i already had made some progress with it and i felt not it just felt natural to continue uh, i already knew something about my ancestors and this something had ha already had helped me in uh, real life problems for example, I know that one of my ancestors survived a gulag in Siberia. Uh, for those who, of you who are not familiar with the topic, gulags were work camps organized by Stalin in Siberia, in the subarctic circle. Um, Stalin sent all sent there all the enemies of communism, like you know the en enemies in the most wide and inclusive sense uh, of this word um, in the times of stalin one could end up in gulag for being an owner of a horse for example uh, by the way if you want to learn more about the gulags in siberia there is a super interesting book uh, by giles yudi I'm not sure how to pronounce this surname. I hope I'm getting it right. It's G-I-L-E-S. That's the first name. And then U-D-Y. That's the surname. Um, he's a historian and he's recently published a book called Labor and the Gulag, uh, Russia and the Seduction of the British Left. Uh, in this book, apart of very insightfully having a look at the modern left, uh, left in the political sense he also describes in quite a lot of details how the gulags looked and um, if you don't feel like buying or reading a book you can listen about this book uh, on an episode of trigonometry podcast which where the author of this book was interviewed not that long ago and i will put a link to this episode in the notes um, and if you if you don't feel like read or listen i'm just going to tell you that gulags were like you know horrendous concentration work camps uh, in the subarctic cycle where the enemies of communism or 
enemies of Stalin were sent to work in absolutely inhumane conditions. And one of my ancestress and her whole family, her husband and her children, they were sent there too. And only only this one woman, only the my ancestress came back. And after she came back, she lived for many years after that. And she even could smile and laugh. And uh, there was a time in my life when knowing that one of my ancestress was such an amazingly strong and resilient woman, uh, it actually saved my life. Um, because there was a uh, there was a time in my life when I was, well, I was done. <laughs> I I just could not take it anymore. Uh, life was too hard for too long, and all my efforts to improve it seemed to be completely in vain. And I didn't have it in me to keep trying anymore. I was just done. Uh, and I actually planned to commit suicide. And uh, and when I was just about to do it, um, this is when completely out of the blue, I just remembered this ancestress of mine. Uh, I didn't see her or feel her, none of that stuff, or feel her presence. It was just a, just a thought about her, just a thought that popped into my head just like that, uh, just when I was about to cut my wrists. And uh, this thought got me thinking because I realized that my ancestress, a woman whose blood I share, she endured loss I can't even imagine. Uh, she endured this loss in conditions I can't even begin to picture. And after that, she could smile and laugh. She could live after that. And I started to feel ashamed, ashamed of being weak. But uh, on the other side, I felt empowered uh, because I thought to myself, uh, like on the distaff side of my family, I am related to a woman so unimaginably strong and resilient that there is just no way some of this strength had to be passed over to me because um, I don't know if you if you know women like female <laughs> female uh, uh, so biological woman not like trans woman um, uh, bio biological women have a very unique way of passing their genes. Uh, because they don't only pass the pass the half of the nuclear DNA, so the DNA, DNA that is contained in the nucleus of their cells, but they also pass like 100% of their mitochondrial DNA, so the DNA that is contained in their mitochondria. And my, mitochondria are the, like the powerhouses of every single cell of our bodies. So, a part of sharing some of the main nuclear DNA, I can be 100% sure that me and this ancestress of mine, uh, we have the same mitochondria. So, the very thing that gives us 
the energy to function, which in turn means that potentially my body is capable of producing enough energy to get me through a gulag in Siberia. And if that's the case, then I most certainly can survive being homeless in the mild weather of United Kingdom. And believe it or not, this conclusion caused me to just abandon any thoughts of suicide and gave me strength to keep going. And uh, I've kept going for years after that. I mean, I stumbled a few times. I, I lost my way a few times. I... I even had one more episode of suicidal thoughts, but uh, overall I'm I'm still there uh, because I trust in my ancestors and I believe they are out there to help me, uh, to give me strength and to guide me through any hardship. And another thing that is a direct result of me, me worshipping my ancestors, uh, it's actually improving my relationship with my family uh, because my relationship with my family not not with my daughter but with the rest of my family uh, it's been strained for many years uh, for years I barely talked to my parents I moved as far away from them as I could and I avoided any contact but when uh, when you venerating ancestors you actually really cannot do it uh, also as i've learned out while reading about pre-christian early medieval slavs they actually looked and looked after and respected their parents so whether i liked it or not i felt i i had to do it too in order to be a proper follower of slavic native faith uh, and one day i called upon called up my parents I called up my parents and I started talking to them and you know it wasn't easy at the <laughs> at the beginning uh, there was just so there was just so much distance between us so much well hurt and lack of understanding uh, but I kept calling them up every week um, and I kept talking to them because I believed this is what my religion requires of me and from my parents i learned out more about my family so my ancestors who i am supposed to venerate as a rodnover so that was good but uh, also while talking to my parents about their parents i started to see why my parents are as they are uh, i started to understand where their pain is coming from and uh, that was the beginning of uh, healing between um, me and my family and you know things are not great now but they are better they are much better and my conversation with my parents made me a better better human being uh, because I'm just uh, I'm not so judgmental anymore. I understand that who we are as adults is greatly shaped by our parents and some of uh, these things can't be easily overcome. Um, opening a conversation with my parents also allowed me to connect more with who I am and uh, also what is very important to uh, Rodnover to understand my dollar better. 
Uh, and for for these of you who don't know what dollar is, I will just I will just send you to the ninth episode of Searching for the Slavic Soul, where I explain the concept of dollar of a Slav. And uh, here I'm just going to very briefly mention that uh, dollar. Uh, it's a sort of a protective demon who is spanned by Rodzanice, who are Slavic goddesses responsible for fate. Uh, Rodzanice spin uh, a dollar of a child in the period of the first few days after this child is born, or, well, they spin the dollar if they are properly treated by the parents of this child. But if, uh, if they are they not received properly, they might spin a nie dollar, so a negative dollar, sort of a bad fate. And really considering that most of us, the modern Rodnovers, we born in hospitals without any sort of proper setting to re- receive the goddesses, it is likely that most of us have a nie dollar, so a bad fate, not dollar, so the good one. I mean, if you listen to the ninth episode, you'll know I greatly simplify here. But the purpose of, but for the purpose of what I want to talk about here, it's you know quite enough. So basically, before I started to work on my dollar, I am pretty sure I had a nie dollar. So it's <laughs> no wonder my life didn't go so well. Uh, but what I I learned about the Slavic dollar is that a Slav can actually change his or her dollar for one that belonged to another member of the family. And this is where veneration of the ancestors comes in rather handy, uh, because in order to venerate my ancestors, I I have to learn about them. And when I learn about them, I can kind of deduct some of the things about their dollars. And in this way, I can figure out how to find a dollar that is well suited for me. With regards to how I venerate my ancestors, uh, obviously, I participate in the Jade ritual, ritual and venerate my ancestors in a, let's call it, official way during these celebrations, but mostly I venerate in private on a daily basis, really. I think about my ancestors, I remember them, I try to relate to them, uh, understand who they were and what was important to them. I try to learn from their lives. I thank them for their mistakes because I can learn from them, from their mistakes without having to make these mistakes on my own. And I celebrate the success, the, their successes because they build their successes. They build the world in which I'm living now. I thank my grandfather and my grandmother and her brother for fighting in the underground Polish army in the Second World War, and I thank them for surviving it. I thank them for the world they build. Uh, I am grateful for them that despite the pain, the loss and the trauma they experienced, they never gave up and uh, brick by brick, they rebuilt Poland to what it was when my parents were born and what it became when I came to live in it. And I thank them for what I have, thanks to them, uh, for the 70 years of peace, for the Convention of Human Rights and all the post-war stabilization that was built on their sacrifices. And thanks to that, I, I never feel alone. Um, 
And, you know, I am aware that some of my direct ancestors were devout Roman Catholic, and I respect that. Uh, I never call upon the devout Catholic ancestors of mine during pagan celebrations because I think they, I don't think they would find, I think they would find it offensive. Uh, but I do talk to them in private, uh, making sure I'm respectful, respectful of the religion, but also respectful to my religion. And every day I try to strengthen and deepen my connection with the generations of the women and men uh, whose blood flows in my veins. Uh, because they gave me the word I have and I want to do my part to make sure I don't break this word. And if possible, I want to make it even better for my daughter who will hopefully venerate me after I die. Another thing I do for my uh, ancestors, uh, not only the ones that I know, but know by name, but in general, or my all my Polish ancestors, um, I, uh, I just speak Polish properly and I'm teaching my daughter proper, elegant and correct Polish. Because as it happens, a lot of my Polish ancestors, they literally died for Poland to exist. Uh, they they died for Polish language to not to be forgotten. Uh, because in Polish history, there was a long period where Poland actually did not exist as a country. Uh, Poland was occupied by Russia and Germany and Austria, and each of these occupiers tried to eradicate Polish culture and language. And my ancestors kept fighting for the culture and language not to be forgotten. And they died in uprisings and wars and they fought and died to bring Poland, Poland back on the map of Europe and after like 200 years they succeeded. So by cherishing my Polish heritage and language I show the respect to my ancestors I don't know by name. Uh, but it's not only the blood related ancestors I venerate, I mean, well, let me rephrase it. It's not only the blood-related ancestors I intend to venerate in the future. Uh, because there are a few people who were, you know, really influenced my life. They were my mentors. Uh, uh, they influenced my life in such a positive way. They made such a humongous impact on who I am that I will never be able to repay them in a, let's call it, material way. And these people, my, I think I can say, call them like that, They, my spiritual family. I will venerate them too when they pass away, which hopefully won't be soon, but, you know, will happen one day and I will be there to make sure that they are remembered. Because most of how I worship my ancestors is remembering, really. I don't have any altars for my ancestors. I don't burn uh, any candles. I'm aware that many people need this sort of props to get into the mood of worshipping, but I don't, so I don't do it. And as far as props of ge or gestures go, the only thing that I do sometimes is like, you know, raising my glass <laughs> in the name of my ancestors or a particular ancestor. And that's it. I don't actually need 
anything else. Uh, so that's my veneration, my veneration of the ancestors, which is the part of Slavic native faith I, I started with first. So I think I have it figured out the best, but obviously ancestors are not all and gods are not all because apart of the ancestors and the Slavic gods, there are also Slavic demons that played a huge role in the religion of the original pagan Slavs. And they actually are pretty much completely ignored by the gods worshipping modern Rodnovers. And I don't know why, because if you look in the historical sources uh, about the original Slavic paganism, demons, particularly household demons, but, but also spirits of trees or rivers, were, worship, were worshipped like left, right and center back then. Such demons were given offerings and were venerated and looked after and a lot of these traditions were preserved in Slavic folklore. So why the modern Rodnovers to totally brank the demons out? Well, because they are Christianized, like not the demons, but the rather modern Rodnovers. The modern Rodnovers are Christianized as fuck. They are so brainwashed that they can't even see what's in front of them. They just keep looking for gods, you know, Axis Mundi, Deus Otiosus, some bloody duality or some other BS taken straight out, out of Judeo-Christian religion studies and just totally blank out the truly pagan stuff like demons and uh, the demons were import were important to the original pagan slavs uh, they were so important that even in the 15th century like 500 years after christianization of poland in polish sermons preachers were still preaching that christian poles should stop offering to uboże what is left over from the din from a dinner on Thursdays. And this uboże is one of the Slavic household demons. But the Christian Poles did not listen to the preachers and neither did any of the Christianized Slavs. They continued to interact with the Slavic demons despite the relentless campaign of the missionaries and priests. And this perseverance should tell us that the Slavic demons are important. And that, for the lack of better word, let's call it working with the Slavic demons, was of benefit to the Christianized Slav. It was of so much benefit, in fact, that the Slavic demonology is one of the best pre preserved elements of Slavic pagan traditions. And I just could not figure out why until I actually started to, again, for the lack of better word, word work with the Slavic demons. So, if you look at Slavic demonology, many malevolent demons can be detected by observing the signs of their presence. And one of such common signs is that bread is not coming out right. Uh, this bread thing puzzled me for a long time because I could not figure out what could the demons have to do with the bread not coming out right but then i started making out my own bread and when i got really good at it like so good that i did not have to weigh my ingredients anymore i just you know poured some water and i knew how much 
to add so uh, when i got so good at it this is when it clicked you see the the thing is that when you get really good at something uh, so good that you don't have to think about it you can just you know do it how this thing you're so good at turns out starts to depend on how you feel about yourself so when you're in a good mood you're feeling confident and nothing worries you you just do the thing like i may i make bread without thinking about it or double guessing myself and uh, when something bothers you and you are preoccupied this is when you start to lose your touch and suddenly things that you were previously really good at just stop working out for you you keep getting distracted you keep losing focus you double guess yourself and sometimes even triple guess yourself and something that should be easy and be you like second nature suddenly starts to be a difficult task and that is a symptom that there are malevolent demons in your life and you see making bread from scratch with only flour and water no yeast even which is how bread was made in the medieval times uh, when sourdough was used as a raising agent for the bread so in medieval ages making bread was one of these things that people were doing all the time so that was like the equivalent of i don't know making a cup of tea nowadays like who cannot make a cup of tea so um, because making bread was such a common thing to do people were good at it and if they suddenly started to fail at it it meant that there is something happening that makes them stop paying attention and this something could be an argument with a spouse or an illness of a child or a period of scarcity or some other trouble in the village which as our medieval ancestors believed was all caused by malevolent malevolent demons so when your bread was not coming out right you knew that there is something that you need to pay attention to you knew that there are demons invading and you know you've got to take actions before it's too late and you know our ancestors uh, called these things demons but we call them i don't know a letter from the tax office or a letter from the doctors you know these things that invade our life and disturb it like this letter that was delivered yesterday and you still haven't opened it because you're scared of what's written inside so you think about this letter you get distracted and you mess up your cup of tea you add too much sugar or not enough milk or something and uh, the slavic tradition tells you that's your sign when you're messing up things you can usually do right it means there is something that you should be paying attention to but you don't it tells you to go and find the demon and get rid of it before it creates more problems and that is just absolutely amazing amazing early detection system that even modern psychologists and therapists use nowadays like if you ever were in therapy or read at least some help like a self-help book they always tell you to pay attention to identify problems and solve them before they become too big 
to not to let the anxiety or panic take over, but to stay in the moment, to pay attention and to be mindful, be aware of what's happening, why it's happening and what's your relation to it. And our Slavic ancestors did it too. In their stories about demons and spirits, the stories that were told so often and through so many generations that they actually made it through hundreds of years from medieval times to the modern era. In these stories, they left their successors a clue. Pay attention, be mindful. If your bread is not turning outright, there is something wrong. Something is trying to hurt you and you need to take actions. And that is just bloody awesome. This is why I'm so much in love with Slavic traditions. So once I figure out the bread situation, <laughs> I really started to interact with all sorts of demons. Uh, to start with, I focused on benevolent demons such as uh, Plonek. And if you listen to the episode number 11 of Searching for the Slavic Soul, you already know that Plonek is a protective demon of the land uh, who has a very strong beliefs regarding who should live on his land. Uh, Plonek only tolerates honest and hardworking people. And if such live on his land, he would bring them plentiful harvest and good fortune. But if the, uh, <laughs> if the people who live on his land are like freeloaders, he will make every single day of their life a disaster. So uh, I thought to myself how amazing it would be to have a Plonek helping me out. And, uh, and you know, I live in a flat in the middle of an urbanized area. So chances of Plonek ne living nearby are very slim. But the practice I work for is actually in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's surrounded by fields and orchards. So I thought to myself, let's see if any of the po Poles moving to UK over the last 150 or so years brought a Plonek with them. Uh, let's see if there is one living on the land where my practice is. And I started leaving small offerings on the fields near to my near my practice. And just in case there is a Slavic demon living there, I started kind of making sure, like paying more attention to being honest and hardworking. Not that I'm not normally honest and hardworking, but I kind of, you know, was a little bit more than usual and uh, under six months all of this brought me plentiful harvest like the metaphorical harvest obviously not harvest in the sense of harvesting harvesting from the field but in the sense of salary but yeah it definitely brought me plentiful harvest and good fortune which is actually quite unusual nowadays because nowadays, as sad as it is, working hard and being honest usually causes people to take advantage of you, uh, doubles and triples your workload and makes you feeling like a loser and in a way makes you a loser and sooner or later causes you to burn out professionally. But uh, for a change, in the practice I work on the land I made offerings on, 
it didn't. It allowed me to thrive. So here you go. And uh, another demons I started to, again, for the lack of better word, uh, work with are protective household demons such as uh, uboże I mentioned before, or uh, the I think most famous Slavic household demon uh, Domovic. Uh, with these demons, as it's stated in the historical sources, every Thursday I leave them leftovers of my dinner and. <laughs> that is uh, important in this respect that I'm not really a big uh, big on eating most of the time I can get by on a few sandwiches a scrambled egg or a bowl of cereals but now in order to please my household demons at least once a week I have to have a proper dinner and I do because I'm so into following Slavic native faith that I actually organize for Thursdays to be my days off from work. So I have absolutely zero excuse not to have a dinner on this day, which kind of contributed to improving my health <laughs> and also my relationship with my daughter because she's really into cooking and, you know, we can bond over that, uh, which to a person who doesn't know me might sound a bit ridiculous and perhaps in the context of me admitting earlier to baking homemade br bread, a bit dishonest, but I can reassure you a part of bread, which I make for the purpose of researching Slavic traditions, uh, I really don't know shit about cooking and I have absolutely zero interest in cooking. and. Now I cook once a week <laughs> and my daughter loves it. Uh, so yeah, um, also in context of keeping our household demons happy, we don't argue in our house. We just don't. I'm not saying we don't have different opinions in our small family, but we don't resolve them by arguing in the house. If there is any argument to be had, we have it outside, in the car, on or when walking the dog, never ever in the house. And that is, in my opinion, huge. It's changed my relationship with my daughter in more ways than I can describe. Because if there is an argument brewing, one of us will say, stop, let's just calm down, let's not shout so we don't scare our household demons. And that is pretty much enough to take the edge off the anger and allow us to you know, communicate in a more effective and productive way. Uh, and even if it doesn't, while leaving the house to have the argument somewhere else, uh, we chill out a little bit and it's just all uh, a little bit more manageable. Uh, what else? Uh, more than well, like just in case, uh, than bless basing on any solid evidence, I, I really looked after my pets actually, particularly my two cats. Uh, because in Slavic demonology, there is a lot of demons with ability to shape shift into animals, most frequently into cats. Uh, such demons are Gumiennik, which I talk about in the uh, 11th episode of uh, Searching for the Slavic Soul, or Hochlik, or I think the most famous one, Vargin, 
the demonic cat. Uh, such demons basically look like the animals they shape shift into and there's really no way to say if they are demons or just regular cats for example. So uh, just, just in case I treat my dog and my two cats right I look after them and make sure all their physical, mental and emotional needs are met. I make sure they are happy and healthy. So, you know, in case they are demons, I don't piss them <laughs> off. And so far, I think I have not pissed them off. Although a few times I was cutting it, cutting it close with my oldest cat, Lila, who is a diva and is really easy to offend. Uh, but still, looking after my pets and having my pets in general is good for me. And that's actually scientifically proven, like, you know, it's proven that petting a cat is relaxing and healing and it makes you feel better and actually makes you heal better. So, uh, yeah, petting shape-shifting demons has got to be good for you too. <laughs> uh, as far as the more palpable effects of having protect protective demons in your house, well, my house, uh, we lived here four years and so far, touch wood, uh, nothing really broke down here. The, the boiler is working, the electricity is working. We had no fires, no leaking washing machines or other stuff. Um, there was one leakage in the bathroom but it didn't really cause any damage in my flat, just in the flat downstairs, <laughs> which as a good neighbor, I shouldn't really be saying with so much satisfaction, but hey-ho, what can I do? You know, better them than me, <laughs> which is also a part of Slavic tradition. Uh, because if you uh, read into Slavic demonology, you, you will find out that a lot of benevolent demons, like uh, these, these uh, demons called Trach, they like little dragon-like demons, uh, they work in this way. They benefit the person who feeds them by stealing or causing other damages in the neighbor's household. <laughs> but then, you know... If the neighbor was looked, looking after their protective demons, the protective demons wouldn't allow for such stealing to be taking places. So, place already, it's their fault, not mine. <laughs> another thing I do um, is attending to the spirits of uh, trees and rivers, which I look, do by looking after my local park. Um, I go there every day while walking my dog. Uh, like literally every day in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, uh, if I go to work, uh, I pick all the rubbish I find. I don't leave any rubbish behind. I don't like damage trees. I ca don't cause any damage to anything. And uh, quite often in the summer, I just sit by the river and express my gratefulness to the river for being there and having this amazing cold water that allows me to rest. Uh, and I'm not sure how uh, and if the spirits find my effort, what they think about it. But going there every day is most certainly good for me, for my body and for my mind. So I do it anyway. Um, what else? Oh, 
I almost forgot. This year I started to dabble a little bit in Slavic magic. And I started with making ritual dolls, which are called Jarnuszki, uh, Motanki or Zadanice. So there's three different names for the same thing, really. And the names of these dolls pretty much explain what they are. Uh, the name Jarnuszka comes from Jarno, which means seed, which is what these dolls, mostly the heads, can be filled with. Uh, the name motanki comes from a verb uh, from a verb motach, which means to tango, uh, and this is how you make these dolls. You basically tango fabric to give them the doll uh, required shape. And the name zadanica comes from zadanie, which means a task, which is really what these dolls are for. Uh, you make them in order to complete a task. Uh, you can give them various tasks like for example finish your degree or I don't know in my case achieve a state of well-balanced mental health. Uh, the task that you give them has to be very precisely defined. Um, you have to really spell it out what you want them to achieve uh, because if you if you, for example, <laughs> make a motanka in order to be happy, which is a very imprecise goal, the motanka can get easily, easily get you hooked up on heroin or some other drugs because really that's the easiest way to be happy quickly. You know, you just shoot up the opioid and let the happiness come. But obviously, it's not really what you want. I mean, at least I hope it's not what you want. Uh, so uh, when you make your motanka, you've got to focus on the exact thing you want your motanka to help you achieve. And once you make this doll, uh, you just let her live with you. You take her places and let her go to like just do the work. And as she kind of gets closer to achieving the, the task that you ask her to do, she starts slowly unravel until all her magic is gone and then your goal is achieved and then you can bury her in the ground and let the seeds that fill her body to you know grow into what they are supposed to be. And uh, I know it sounds like mambo jumbo, but if you really look into it, it makes a lot of sense because spelling out clearly defining your goals is the first and let's let's be honest the most important step of achieving anything so uh, making a motanka helps you to define what you want uh, uh, or what you need to happen and obviously uh, you know you do what you can to achieve your goal and motanka is supposed to do the rest but even having her next to you like with you it it helps to remind you that you know we, we're not here just to have fun. We're here to actually, you know, do some productive stuff. Uh, so uh, still, you know, uh, how it works. So, for example, if your goal is to achieve uh, good mental health, uh, Motanka will make it so that you will find a therapist that is a good match for you, for example, and she will make it so the uh, factors that are outside of your control, like how your boss sees your struggles. Uh, she will make it happen in your favor. She will make this uh, go in your favor. And uh, what I can say, basing on my own experience, it works. It really does. <laughs> so go for it. 
if you want to have a motanka. Uh, another thing I do as a part of my pagan practice is to I try to buy as much locally grown food as I can. Uh, obviously, we all know that locally grown food is more expensive than the supermarket one, which is actually really crazy if you think about it, because with less transport and less middlemen, it definitely should be cheaper. But I guess it just shows uh, how exploitative the corporations are to actually make not locally grown food cheaper. Uh, but still, you know, as much as I can afford, I buy locally because I cannot really grow my own food. So, you know, the only way I can grow what the land is growing is I can, if I buy something of someone who has grown something in the land. Uh, I I do believe it is a way to bond with the land that live, I live on. Like, you know, eating an apple that grew from the land you live on is a way uh, to become a part of the land you live on so that's the spiritual meaning but there's also a practical significance to it because if you buy from the people that live on the land you live on you allow these people to earn the living and in this way you are reducing the chances of these people becoming poor <laughs> and you know out of deprivation you know start to murder each other in the streets just to i don't know steal a wallet or something and I am absolutely fully aware how white people Twitter what I've just said sounds like, you know, be mindful, make dolls and shop locally. But hey, what else can I do to connect with my, my pagan roots? Like I cannot sell everything I have and move, move out into the mountains to, you know, live off the land. Firstly, I cannot do it because everything I have is not worth enough to allow me to move to the mountains and live off the land. And, uh, you know, secondly, because I know shit about living off the land. Like, really, I'm crap with plants. I cannot even look properly after a cactus. I'm too old, too skinny and, you know, too arthritic to actually work in the field all day long. I'm also too clumsy and short-sighted. <laughs> I'm sure, too, you know. So that doesn't actually bode well for me being a successful, you know, hunter. So I'm doing what I can, what's achievable for me, and what makes sense from a histori historical and, you know, ethnographical perspective. I really cannot do more than that. Uh, and as to the Slavic gods, I deeply believe they are i believe in their existence of in the existence of the slavic gods while actually having very scientific approach to looking at the world because these two believe it or not actually don't contradict each other uh, just thinking i might actually one day uh, record an episode explaining that that's for next time for now i just say yes i deeply believe in the slavic gods I believe they make the world run and they influence various events, but I also deeply believe they don't give a shit about me or humans in general. Because really, why would they? I mean, Rodzanice pay some attention to us when we are born, Rod perhaps too, but other than that, 
there's no really reason for humans to be of any significance to the Slavic gods. We are not particularly useful in the environment. We're not particularly helpful. What we do doesn't benefit the world in any particular way. I mean, bees are more useful than we are, which is why bees are the gods' messengers and we humans are just like there, like everything else. And I'm perfectly happy to leave it at that. I have absolutely zero need to be noticed by gods because if you look in Slavic folklore stories, nothing good really comes out of gods paying attention to humans. It just creates problems for the humans in question. So I am not interested. I stay away from the gods as much as I can. Obviously, I participate in rituals such as drowning of Majanna or Kupawa, but uh, learning these rituals, it is not me interacting with the gods. It is the Zerca. I'm just standing in the circle around the holy fire and do what the Zerca tells me to do. And if the Zerca tells me to do things that make no sense, I leave the group and find another one with a Zerca who makes more sense. And uh, in all these years, being a Rodnover, not counting the rituals led by Zerca, I only prayed twice to the Slavic gods. On both occasions, I was faced with a situation that was almost completely out of my control. And after I did absolutely everything in my power to affect a positive outcome, after much deliberation, I came to conclusion that I have no choice but to pray. <laughs> so I prayed. I went by the river. I sat on the ground. I touched the ground with my hands and I looked up to the sky and I prayed in Polish, explaining my problems, uh, asking for the outcome I needed. Uh, and when I prayed, I offer a valuable sacrifice in exchange for the outcome I was asking for. Um, by the way, if you're not sure what is a valuable sacrifice, please listen to the first three episodes of Searching for the Slavic Soul. And it's all explained there. Here I would be, it'll be just really too much to talk about it. I'm just going to mention that in one case I prayed. In the first case and prayed, the sacrifice was uh, actually my blood, literally. And in the other, the sacrifice was a translation of a text on Slavic native faith I offered to make if the outcome I needed was granted. And as to the results of my prayers, uh, in the first case, the outcome was granted. So the problem I had was resolved in the way I wished it to be. So I happily made the promised sacrifice on the next ritual, during the next ritual led by Zerca. As for the second time I prayed, the outcome was not as I asked for, not as I asked, but in the end it actually turned out to be beneficial for me. So I decided to square it with the gods and I made my sacrifice. And that was it. That's my whole interaction with the Slavic gods. Other than that, I never pray to them. I don't have an altar. I don't make any ritual offerings because quite frankly, as I already said, from what I've learned about Slavic paganism, 
Such worshipping does not seem to be a part of the original Slavic paganism. And I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to practice the modern, the modern Christianized version of Slavic native faith because it will not benefit in me in any way. Uh, it, I think it would just be a waste of time and space, uh, obviously in my opinion. Uh, while like the way I currently practice Slavic native faith, it seems to be benefiting me enormously. And being uh, born and bred Slav, I'm all for being pragmatic, I'm staying away from anything phony and for just, you know, just for show. And I focus on improving the life of my family, bettering myself and making something out of myself so I can, after I die, be an useful and venerated ancestor. And that's all I have to say for today other than mentioning that I've decided to change the way we are producing this podcast. So before, like before today, uh, the episodes of the podcast were based on the posts on Vitya's blog. So I would first write a post in Polish, then translate it into English and Russian, and then do the sa- do some notes to record the podcast episode. But that was very time consuming, so I decided to do it the other way around. So from now on, the podcast episodes will be recorded first. The blog will have transcripts of the podcast episodes, which will be translated, as always, into Polish and Russian. And if I have time, I will put Polish and Russian subtitles on the YouTube channel, so that hopefully would make the content of the episode more available. Um, I'm hoping that this change will allow me to be a little bit more efficient in producing the podcast and hopefully put allow me to put more content content out there. But we see, <laughs> it might just give me more time to read weird books. <laughs> Still, uh, I hope it's not wasn't too boring today. As always, if you have any comments, positive or negative, or any questions, do contact us via our YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, through Wittia website and emails. And I will link the contact details in the notes of these episodes as well. And for now, have a beautiful rest of the year, hopefully doing things that make sense. Uh, Look after yourself and Suava. Mm -hmm.